0: Hello and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast. My name
1: is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. A new version of Hex was released that fixed recent issues with version downgrades and slow version resolutions. As you can imagine, a Hex being a package manager has a lot to do with version resolutions. And so that's a pretty critical part. So be sure to run mix local hex to upgrade. And get those improvements. And thanks to the Hex team for noticing and taking care of that issue.
0: Next, Credo 1.6.0 was released. This release was pretty significant. It had a number of new features. And so be sure to check out the changelog that we have linked in the show notes. But the big feature that's worth mentioning here is the first run mode. So it's designed to be run every time you introduce Credo to an existing code base. So it's like the first time you bring it into this project where it looks at the code and makes specific recommendations, but it offers suggestions on how to introduce Credo to your workflow and your CI. And there's a, a number of other interesting things there, and they've, they're changing how some of the, where you say exclude this warning uh, or this check and opt into this one. And they're changed how some of that worked because it wasn't the most elegant situation before where if you had customized the checks and turned off some then new versions of Credo would come out and you wouldn't know about the new checks that were available unless you explicitly went and regenerated the file to check for that. So this is helping to make it work well so you can just say, hey, I just want to turn off these couple and then as new things come in, they'll show up and you can have a choice to say, do we want to bring that in the project or not? But congratulations to the Credo team. Good work.
2: Next up, a public service announcement for those running Elixir 111 or higher and Phoenix 1.5.12 1.5.12 and higher. You no longer need to add the Phoenix atom in the list of compilers in your mix.exs file. And it's been reported that this speeds up your CLL times CLI times considerably for large projects. And
0: that's just generated code. Like when you create a new mix Phoenix project, it'll put that in there in your mix.exs file. So now if you're on the current enough versions, then you can go and remove that. And next up is a new library called type check. So it describes itself as fast and flexible runtime type checking for your Elixir projects. So in the Elixir community, types is a big topic. People like the idea of static types. And dialyzer is always brought out as, well, you can do this for static analysis. And dialyzer has its own shortcomings, be it that it's slow, it's not enforced. And understanding some of its recommendations or warnings can be very challenging. So people are always interested in other topics. And there's another library by Chris Keithley called Norm, which is also a runtime type checker. And the initial temptation is to compare type check library with Norm. And they are different. So they are taking different approaches and have different aims. So if types is something you're interested in with Elixir, and you want to get involved with it, you could check out either of these projects. But maybe checking out type check is something you'd be interested in. And we do plan on going deeper on this topic in the future. So definitely stay tuned for that. Can't
1: talk about types without mentioning Gleam. Also check out Gleam if you really, really love types. All right, on the topic of new libraries, Eric Ostrich shared one online. It's called I know, I think I'm saying that right. A-I-N-O. I know. It's a new HTTP framework for Elixir. So kind of like Cowboy and Phoenix, right? So it's far enough along for him to share about it. Eric wrote up a blog post explaining what it is and why he created it. Here's a quote. It says, I wanted to see if there were different ways of writing web apps in Elixir. This approach doesn't use Cowboy or Plug, and his exploration of how else could it be done, you know, would it be better, is illustrated through the library I know. It's really interesting. You know, like I I see a lot of, I would bet that most Elixir web applications are all like 100% running Cowboy and there's other web servers out there. And the one that I know is, is using is called Ellie, I believe. It's a good exploration, I think, because it's always great to have other options out there and it's still super early. There's still a lot of things that Phoenix does that I know doesn't do. But benchmarks are looking pretty fantastic. So, worth checking out. Thanks Eric for drumming this up. I'm really excited to explore it. One differentiator is well, Phoenix has live view, right? That stateful connection. I know is focused on that stateless HTTP traditional rest kind of uh, workflow. I don't anticipate that being something that he's going to explore into, you know, on, on the near term. So, if you're still really excited about live view, well, Phoenix is still your your option there. But still, nonetheless, very interesting very encouraging to see this kind of work. I think it's just cool because he's just wanting to play with it. Just explore what could
0: you do if you weren't doing MVC? What might that look like? Because there have been other web frameworks and other communities that have tackled that question. And this is Eric's public exploration of the idea. And I think he's just welcoming other people to kind of weigh in and explore
1: with him. Reminds me a little bit of Rack in, in Ruby. There's a lot, a lot of middleware in there, but you still right. get your Phoenix feels with your use Hello Web controller kind of stuff. But anyway, just to tease the benchmark there, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll notice it. Who knows how much benchmarks really mean here, but in his benchmark, again, go look at his blog post and take it with a grain of, a, a grain of salt. Phoenix was 2.24 times slower than I know. Granted that Phoenix is probably doing some more things here, but... Eric's a smart guy. I'm, I'm sure that he's gotten it to match as closely as possible, and he's got some uh, some cool things going on here. So just a, to just a tease, Yari. Yeah. All right, now go check it out.
2: Next up, a company named Stored, S-T-O-R-D, was recently in TechCrunch News for raising $90 million and becoming a unicorn, if that's what defines a unicorn. We'll link the article in the show notes, but we wanted to mention it because Stored happens to be an elixir company, and it's always exciting to see Elixir companies in the tech news like this. And I feel like it's becoming more frequent lately. So it's always, it's always fun to see this happening. I'm rooting for the language, obviously. A little biased towards it, but I hope that it
1: continues to succeed like this. Last up, SpawnFest 2021 happened. And at this very moment, the judges are still evaluating all the projects. But I went through some of the projects just to see what was really interesting, because there's been some really interesting things that have come out of this. I think Bakeware was one of them, where you can get your portable binaries. That was pretty cool. So I'm just going to list a couple. This is not uh, in a complete list. I apologize profusely if I've left yours off, but we're going to hear them all, uh, about them all again here soon once uh, once the competition has, has been finalized. So the first one is E-Flambé, which is about rapid generation of flame graphs. There's a, there's a demo, a little YouTube demo out there. This is by Trevor Brown, the same person that helps manage uh, ASDF, Erlang and Elixir. So a little connection there. You put your function into their function, and then on the other side of it, it will generate an HTML page with your flame graphs of every function that was uh, executed in that call, and then how much time is spent in there. So really, really nice. Loved to see that. There's another one called Sketch, which is a library for gener- creating generative art with Elixir. We've had several folks on, or, or maybe just one. Anyway, we've been interested in generative art. Uh, we've seen a lot of like cross-pollination there, so still, still loving to see that happen. Here's another one lotus lotus is a surface ui wrapper for a ui kit i'm really enjoying see this i don't use ui kit myself but i think that surface ui is really going to lend itself to uh, these kind of a wrapper kits to um, popular css libraries here's another one discovery platform for hosting real-time stateful servers with zero downtime deployment and horizontal scaling on kubernetes I think I understood all of that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's the Kubernetes scaling horizontal. I didn't see the word vertical. Uh, zero downtime. So that seems great. I think this is going to be pretty cool. I wonder what that would look like. I wonder if this is like using Kubernetes API to like just effortlessly spawn another node up and down as as work needs it. That could be pretty cool. I'm excited to learn more about that. And the last one I'll mention is crash. Crash is a simple, distributed, Docker on Docker continuous integration system written in Elixir. So if you love yourself some Dockers and some distributedness, I'm sure that all will, will equal the word simple. So you should go check that one out. Or at least maybe that's what Crash does is makes that stuff simple for you. And if that's, if that's true, I'm sure this will be a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool library. Wait, what does Docker on Docker mean? You know, when you can't get enough Docker, man, you just put your Dockers inside your Dockers. We'll
0: let you know when we hear about the SpawnFest winners, but that's it for the news. Today, we're being joined by our special guest, Kai Wern. Kai, welcome to the show.
3: Hi, thanks for having me here.
0: Kai, I'm happy to have you here because in episode 55, we shared something that you did online, which was playing with the Recon Library, which is an awesome library for doing debug tracing and just understanding really what's going on with your production systems and getting an insight into those systems. And you showed how you were doing that with Livebook. And I thought, oh, that is a perfect example. And wanted to have you come on and talk about that. So, you know, because whenever we want to start looking at our production systems, and it's like, why is this going slow? Or what is chewing up? Or, why is this thing, gen server not processing messages? Whatever we're trying to look into that, you know, having a Livebook example broken down, showing you how to do it, I thought that was sweet. So I'm glad you could come and talk about that and just kind of talk about how you're using the Recon Library, what debug tracing even is. But before we get into all that, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about yourself. Like, where do you live and what kind of work are you doing?
3: I'm Kai Ven Chong. So it's a bit long, but you can actually just call me Kai. So I'm currently living in Malaysia, a country above Singapore. And I'm currently working as a software engineer in a local digital therapeutic startup called Naluri. So we are using Phoenix as our monolith and we have like a couple of other services that is written in TypeScript.
0: So Kai, as you're working on this Elixir monolith, were you getting into any situations where you were needing to understand what was happening in production? Like what started you down this path of wanting to understand debug tracing and what was going on there?
3: The very first time what we have is a very high CPU usage. It's like 100%. And that's when I learned about, hey, actually something went wrong, but then the system is still running fine, right? Like the request is still get served, nothing's on fire, but then there's just high CPU usage, right? Then I kind of um, started to look around for different resources and I came across like a in angle, which tell you about, hey, this is how you understand reductions is actually the process info they want to look at for high CPU usage. And from there, I started dive into all these things on debugging in production system.
0: Cool. I remember David even mentioning one time where he's like, wow, you know, tracing is something I'd really like to get better at or play with. And so maybe you can just let us know a little bit high level, what is tracing? What are we talking about when you say tracing in the beam?
3: Tracing, I actually understood it as like an automated dynamic kind of logging. So um, normally, right, if you want to say, hey, I want to know when this function is called, what you do is you add IO inspect, right? Which is what we do all the time, right? But then with tracing, right, it gives you the power to add this on runtime dynamically. It means that you don't have to change your code, don't have to change anything. Basically, you just say, hey, Beam, tell me when is enum.map get called. And then you just give a couple of um, additional arguments, and then, you, then Beam will say, hey, when it gets called, it will just lock it out. So basically, that's tracing, right? So don't be confused by the tracings in like um APM, which is like AppSignal or Open Telemetry. Those tracings require your application, your library to, you know, emit telemetry data. And it needed to be set on compile time, right? But then um tracing in BIM actually gives you the power to, you know, just toggle the switch on and then you can say, hey, show me what happens in this system, what functions get called. So that's like, like the main, main difference, right? One is like, You can toggle it in runtime. And then one, it requires you to kind of specify it. Okay, what I want to trace on before compile, right? Before you build the project.
2: How did you go about, you have this massive code base and you have 100% CPU, like where did you even start? (laughs) So was that your situation? It it was uh, infinitely recursive? Yep. Okay. That's what I
0: love about Elixir is it'll just run forever and do that instead of blowing up in the stack. Obviously you can still blow the stack, but if you're doing tail recursion properly, where you're doing the recursive function call at the very end of the function, then yeah, it'll just run forever. So a couple of things I I got from that. One, everyone should probably watch Sasha Yurik's talk, Soul of Erlang, because we've talked about it multiple times. Multiple guests have pointed this out as being really influential for them. So if you haven't seen it, that's probably one, you should check this out. And then two, you're having like a recursive function just chewing up CPU, but the system is still running. That's awesome. It's a, not the ideal situation, but hey, it kept working. So that was nice. Uh, but then I also liked how you just went and started with a simple approach of show me what processes have the highest reductions. And maybe it's just worth mentioning what reductions are.
3: I might be wrong in the details here, but this is how roughly I understand it. So basically, when your code gets executed, right? Because BIM is using preemptive scheduling, your code will be executed halfway and then it might switch out to other process. And then every time it executes something, the reductions will be increased, right? So when a reduction is high, it means that your code get executed over again and again and again, right? So sometimes that's normal, especially like when you see that in Gen server, you normally have high um, reduction because internally it's just a loop. But then if you see really, really high reductions, that means something is wrong.
1: Sasha York's talk there, very inspiring. Loved it. Incredible. It was very like uplifting, encouraging. I was like, oh my gosh, I can do a lot here. Also interesting in there, it was seeing how he debugged. I'm always curious about how other people debug things. He went through the process list like you had mentioned. And so that just reminded me that I've been doing this. I just don't understand it. (laughs) I just don't understand what I've been doing. And because we have the tools like Phoenix Live Dashboard, There is a list of processes in there, and that's like basically the same thing as doing process.list. Then they present it in UI. You can click on and sort by reductions in there. Yeah, I didn't know what reductions really meant. I do see, like when I'm listing a lot of my processes, I do see like a lot of gen server loops. Is it possible that reductions isn't necessarily correlating with
3: CPU usage? It could be just things that are also just waiting to be called. I'm not an expert in this area but then it's kind of like an indicator because of how beam scheduler works it's really hard to know the exact CPU usage from the OS level right so it's kind of like a, a good indicator to tell you if you are using high CPU usage it doesn't correlate directly but then I think there's some correlation there all right that makes a lot of sense
2: here's an official blurb that I found. A reduction is a measure of work used by the beam to manage fair scheduling of processes. Yeah. So if something has
0: a higher reduction count, it is a fair proxy for CPU usage. You can understand it roughly compares, but yeah, it's not a direct comparison.
3: Yep.
2: You were going through all of your processes. So does it keep track of reductions per process? Yes, correct. Okay, so then our monitoring tool at work is bad then because (laughs) it has reductions by node. (laughs) Just using Observer, you
0: can open up and see reductions there. But as David was pointing out, the web dashboard is a a great way to do that, especially maybe on a staging environment or something, or if you have a way of protecting access to that, just so it's not... General public can't just visit that page. In all this discussion, you mentioned that you weren't using Recon yet. Maybe you can tell us what the Recon library is and how that is helpful.
3: So Recon is basically a library that written by Fred Herbert. I might pronounce the name wrongly, but basically it's a wrapper of all the internal tools that is provided by Erlang that helps you to understand the system, right? But then it's it's a wrapper and it has a really good interface, so it makes using it easy. And on top of that, right, what it really helps, it, it helps you to debug in production system safely. Just take an example, right, for tracing. You could trace, let's say, enum.map. But then what if you have a high request code that is always calling enum.net, right? Then you are basically overloading your system because essentially what tracing do is it intercepts, it locks. And then locks is like writing to your I.O. So if you are dealing with a high-volume system, then you might end up overloading your system, but then what Recon provide you is an interface there that says, hey, I want to trace this function. But then it forces you to say, hey, how many traces do you want to print out? So it put the rate limit in place and it saves you from, you know, doing stupid things and like bring down the whole production system, right? And, and on top of that, what it really provides is also a couple of useful helper function. One of the noticeable one that normally people don't aware of is like proc window. Proc window, basically, I think you can understand it is like you're going to provide it two arguments. The first one is what are the process info that you want to pull out? One of the examples would be reduction, would be memory. And then the second one is like how many top process you want to show? And then the third one, is basically over a certain interval. So basically this function gives you the ability to say, hey, give me the top five process over these five seconds that use the most memory. So this is a very handy function to let you kind of debug your system to find out what are the processes that you know have used high memory usage in a short interval. Because what you get from process.list and process.info is like over the life of the system. It's the same as what you get from the live dashboard, right? But then what you don't get is, hey, I want to know like over these five seconds, what are the processes that use the most memory? So these are the things that um Recon provide and then another one that is very useful is bin leak. It's basically like help you to detect binary leak in your memory usage. All these you know tools, all these function call, it actually also help me to learn like how do people actually debug a production a lang and Elixir system, right? And then you know it also teach me about oh how memory works in bin, right? There's like binary, there's stack, there's heap, right? But then it teach me a little bit of that and it helps me to know where should I look further into? So I think it's a pretty handy library when you are someone who is going to be debugging production system from time to time.
2: I can see how that would be helpful. So it sounds like one of the big benefits is like giving you an API to not let you mess up your production environment. Like (laughs) trace this, but only trace it five times. Don't just trace it forever and take down production. That sounds really handy. I like taking down production,
1: though. <laughs> <laughs> you, you learn a lot when you, when you break down production. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: One of the things I liked about your original post that you were sharing, you're saying, whenever I go to do anything with Recon, I always have to re-look it up. And that's, the, that's how it is with me. I don't use it so frequently that it's just like muscle memory. I always have to go back and, and review docs or other resources. And so you said, you know, I'm just going to see if I can take that information that I need that's helping me and put that into a live book, notebook. And so maybe you can kind of share what that did and how that helped you.
3: At first, I wrote about using DBG, but then using DBG modules to trace is really a lot of steps to set up, right? Then I tried to use Recon Trace, but then I didn't really have much experience on using Recon Trace. right? Then I was like, going into the staging and then do ReconTrace. And then like I was wondering, hey, why my function doesn't get called, like doesn't get traced properly? Then I was like so fed up that I just give up and then I just, you know, copy and paste code from elsewhere and then just paste it in and, and it works, right? Then Live Notebook came up, right? And then like I always wanted to try something with it, right? Then I just, over one weekend, I just thought, hey, maybe I can just really understand how trace work and then write, write a Live Notebook. Basically, by going through that process, it forces me to understand how things work, and then when I write down and because i like I'm also intended to kind of share it publicly right I make sure that what I'm writing is correct right so I kind of like go and understand further what does this piece mean what does that piece mean, and then um why certain time it doesn't return the return value when you trace it, then I kind of oh figure out actually this is how things work right so Doing this whole process basically helped me to really understand things, and I guess that's true when they say when you teach, you actually learn better. So I think that's really helpful for me, and hopefully for the readers that you know you know came across it. So
1: in your blog post, you mentioned yeah that it, it takes a while to to learn, all right, and and sticking all this stuff into a live book is a good mental storage place <laughs> of all the, all these learnings. So you can quickly reference it again. But one of the things that I think probably scares a lot of folks away from tracing is understanding what match specs are. The example is is easy, right? Like tell me everything that enum.map is doing. Well, that's going to give you a lot of information that you don't care about. (laughs) And so to, to make it useful information, you have to be able to filter that down. And the way that recon uh there's a dbg underneath i'm not sure which one's actually doing it i guess it's dbg right the way that they they have a a a filter in dbg for these traces is is a match spec so things like enum.map but when there's three arguments and the first argument equals this thing or something with this shape and so writing that match spec (laughs) it's like a different like you are learning a different language at this point right that is not very prevalent in like any other part of your code you've probably never even looked at that before like let's get technical here actually a lot of folks are writing match specs. they just don't know it (laughs) (laughs) i'd say it is it's almost
0: lisp like in at least how it looks to me and it's a data structure right and maybe you can kind of talk about what that is so it's a data structure that helps debug figure out when it should take action that was one of the big benefits i saw from your article as well you're just saying once you got match specs it became a lot easier but maybe you can help those of us who are just getting there and we're still haven't gotten over that hurdle what is what's going on
3: <laughs> yeah what what is a match spec how do i write one <laughs> i guess let's let's start with like what is the mesh match spec so basically um as what mark mentioned mesh spec is like a data structures that is used by a lag in order to match something, right? So when we say match something, to understand it easily, it's like a function that you push into your filter function, right? It helps you to it's like a logic to help you to say, hey, I want to this data to match, I don't want I don't want this, right? So it's kind of like a way to define your logic in a data structures which is consists of array and tuples and you know some weird atom. So it's kind of like a, a AST, right? Like it's like you know it's hard to understand, right? And that's true, right? Even now for me, if you want me to read a mesh spec and understand what it's doing, it's hard. I can roughly know the simple one, but then when it gets complicated, it's really hard. But then again, right? Um, what the ecosystem actually provide you is a function that help you to convert it into mesh spec. So there's this fun to MS. So it's a function where you can just wrote a function, and then they'll convert it into the data structures. If you, you really just want to get started with tracing, I would say uh, most of the time, I only use, like, I trace, like, this specific function call. So most of the time, we, we probably won't trace something like a um, very generic function call, like enum.mem, but then in a production system, you probably trace more context-related module, like accounts.getUser, or accounts.confirmUser. Then that amount of call actually reduced, right? Then you kind of deal with a much simpler thing to write, right? Then the next thing is, if you really want to use mesh spec in production and you don't know how to actually do it, what I would suggest is do it locally first, right? Because <laughs> yeah. you can just write, um, use the function to convert into mesh spec. And then you try to like just call that function and see, does it work, right? Does it work as you expect then once you verify that, then you kind of just copy and paste it into your production and then you know, okay, your things is working correctly. So I guess um you don't have to be perfect, right? Even now, a lot of time, I also kind of avoid touching mesh spec. <laughs> At first, I just use the simplest one and see if it helps with the problem. And if it doesn't, then I will go into, you know, the more complicated solution. And when you want to use the more complicated solution, It's always good to, you know, spin up a local IEX and then just play around with things. And then, hey, it works. Okay, let's do that in production. And I guess like really writing it and trying to explain to people does helps. But I guess in terms of applying it, it still requires you to kind of have that experience, right? Once you get used to it, once you try to use it a few times, then you probably get better at it.
1: I'll be honest, I I see the, the DBG dot fun to ms and i thought that that was like a timer to <laughs> measure my function in milliseconds functions in uh, milliseconds yeah <laughs> <laughs> but no ms stands for match spec so now that makes a lot more sense you give it some function some anonymous function that has a shape you know like some some matching kind of pattern matching kind of shapes in, in that function and this will give you that that match spec you can also just write your match spec, if you know that, but I, that takes practice, like you said. It's so a good advice there. Yeah, just like learning anything, got to put your reps in. You know, a
2: while ago, Mark, you shared a blog post about like connecting LiveBook to production, and you were like in a VPN, so it's all secure and stuff. And I can just imagine like how awesome would it be to be debugging and tracing and setting up these match specs in a LiveBook and, like, collaborating with team members and, like, having this, like, awesome notebook saved that's, like, specific to your project that's, like, here's the steps documented with the code that you can run, and it could even be, like, an, an engineering onboarding guide, like, here's how you debug production performance issues, like, let's go debug staging with this notebook right here, and see what are the processes that are taking up the most reductions and here's how you would do it here and then you can use the graphing library that they have like let's graph that out really quick and now we have live view running as well in live dashboard so click this link and it will take you okay here's here it is in in live dashboard now and it's just like so helpful it just seems
1: like so amazing to have that set up so i want to out a couple of things here so like tracing in general when you're reaching for this tool that means you have code that's running that is going to run through the scenario that you care about. And when you attach your tracing, you better hope that that scenario is still happening or that you're just willing to wait for it to happen. <laughs> <You know? laughs> if this is something that's like currently happening, it, you know, as you're looking at it, tracing is may not pick it up. So you, you mentioned earlier on, Kai, that there's two kinds of tracing, you know, the term tracing, what that means. We're talking about like live tracing your running system. There's also tracing as more of a product kind of offering from companies like New Relic and those kinds of places where they emit metadata to services to span and put these kinds of tracers in there themselves, right? And and, and then emit that information for historical purposes. Is there any crossover to these tools that you're aware of or are these two totally different worlds
3: from what I know, currently in the BIM ecosystem, it's kind of like still two different worlds because ideally you want to catch as much as you could in your APM, right? So that gives you an indicator what's happening. But then um, certain times when you are debugging a certain issue, the reason you are debugging that issue is because you don't know that would be an issue, right? So you don't trace that specifically. But on like a more general kind of um over the tech scene, right? Um, what I notice is what they call EBPF, so it's like a kernel level tracing. So it allows um developers to hook into the Linux kernel and admit data, and that is where people um these two world cross together. A lot of projects they use um they hook into the EBPF tracing, and then they kind of from there admit data to the the APM to New Relics, right? So one of the few projects I think is called Cilium. It's like something used with Kubernetes. There's people that try to, you know, combine both of these world because in, in terms of like um Linux or OS development, right? It's hard to ask the kernel developer to, hey, admit this data. So that's why they provide this functionality to kind of say, Hey, we have this functionally you can hook into whatever function call that we have, it won't affect our code in, in the kernel. So I think in that world that is happening right now. But in BIM, I'm not sure if there's any um existing effort in you know combining these two. Again, like I'm not expert in this area, so whatever that I mentioned just now might have some mistakes. So you know, take it as a grain of salt.
1: That's pretty much every word coming out of my mouth and Mark's mouth.
3: (laughs) You should have a pre-recorded little
2: disclaimer (laughs) that we just put at every show. Read it really fast, like two times speed, like a car ad.
0: Yeah. So David, you did bring up that interesting point about, is there anything else that you're aware of that's doing this kind of thing? And like these APM application performance monitoring systems, like New Relic and things like that. And what I, you made me think about that. And I think what's, the case is, for me, it's these are tools that were created to be generic across different technologies. Like, we're getting JavaScript Insight, we're getting Ruby Insight, we're getting C Sharp. You know, it's it's really across everything. So the way they have to work is to have libraries created for those different frameworks or platforms which emit the things that they're looking for and they care about. And I think what's different is the Beam has a lot of that information that's available if you know how to talk to the beam. And that's where this recon library can help you get insight. As I understand the recon library, it's really just a set of helper functions and scripts that are doing a lot of the things that you could just do directly yourself, like you were doing with process list. So it's just a lot of helpers. But then I, I am aware of one, I have no personal experience with it, but it's from Erlang Solutions, there is a service or product called Wombat OAM. And I also have a link to that in the show notes. But I know that that is a Beam-aware performance tooling. That's the only example I know of that is Beam-specific. That is a product.
1: So I set you up a little bit. So I know of a couple of things, but it's still pretty early. So first of all, I'll start with the obvious. Phoenix generators come out with a telemetry module. And so there are some some hooks into the VM now, but that's VM-wide, right? That's not going to get you your tactical tracing stuff. Live dashboard, like I mentioned, does have that process list. You can dig in that way. So there's something that you can do there, but again, it's not tracing. There is open telemetry. We'll drop a link there. And uh, it does have like compatibility between Erlang and Elixir, but uh, this is for that data to be omitted to these APM platforms. This isn't to help you trace now. So I think having both of these skills are are, are going to be really important. You, learning how, what to trace for. Like, you don't know, like you said, Kai, you don't know to trace for it before it's a problem. <laughs> so you got to figure out how how to find the problem first. And that's where Recon and, and DBG can help you find those. And then once you have your trouble spots here, and you might have a little bit of like Foresight to know that like okay i 'm doing some hairy things here. I probably need to put in a tracer here i don 't know what i 'm looking for, but i 'm just going to put in some spans and, and some events, and we 'll see what happens on the other side and so that 's where open telemetry can come in. Open telemetry gives you an a a maybe a friendlier api of of setting up these tracing spans, but it 's still pretty early, like the library 's version, which in Elixir, i don't know how how much stake to put on this, but <laughs> The library's version is like 0.1.1 you know so your mileage may vary but open telemetry is a is a place where you can start for tracing sorry i misspoke 0.6.0 so it's a little bit better than <laughs> 0.1 uh anyway so so yeah open telemetry is a good place i haven't heard of wombat oem so i'll have to go check that out but Recon and DBG, definitely good tools to have in your in your Erlang tool belt, and your Elixir tool belt. Are you aware of any tracing tools that
3: feels a little bit more at home for Elixir folks? Yeah, there's actually a wrapper called Recon EX. So it's basically wrapped around Recon. So you don't have to deal with the Erlang syntax if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. So basically, right, OpenTelemetry, the current state in lang Elixir, as far as I know, they are like 1.0 release candidate. So it's pretty much can be used if you are like working on a hobby project. So there's also OpenTelemetry Phoenix and Acto, where you can actually just integrate into your existing system. And then it will admit to, let's say if you're using like Stack of Honeycomb, then you can directly like admit those traces to that, right? So I think they are close to release the tracing part but then like yeah it's still a long way if you compare to let's say New Relic or Appsignal which is you know been there for quite a long time right
1: which I think New Relic is compatible with open telemetry yep I haven't used it so I don't have personal experience but They've got a badge on their docs that says that, that they're compatible with that.
2: But just FYI, they're the ones that are rounding up all the reductions to per node basis.
1: So, <laughs> so Okay, so so how well are they doing it? <laughs> that is the next question. Good to know.
2: It's like, how useful is that? Because now I just see that all of my nodes are the same, right? Like, why would I want to know that all my nodes have the same reductions? Come on, New Relic, come on. You might have a bug in your load balancer.
0: <laughs> Maybe. So Kai, you have put together a, an awesome set of resources that we're going to link to in the show notes so that people can check it out. Because we touched on some of these, but there's a bunch that we haven't even really touched on. But before we have to end, is there anything else you want to mention
3: or point out? I think what I want to add on is basically um, all of these ideas is actually coming from a talk from Fred Herberts, which is called Operable Erlang and Elixir in this talk, he talked about how you should operate and do things. And then in the middle of the talk, he start talking about how you should use tracing and utilize tracings in understanding your system instead of using print statement debugging, right? So I'm pretty much like influenced by that talk. And then that's why I started kind of experiment with tracing. And that's why you kind of have this notebook today, right? So it's pretty much all coming, you know, inspired by that talk. So yeah, I think that's also really a good talk to listen to, even if you're not planning to learn about tracing, is it actually introduced a lot of different things and tools you can use in like
2: Beam. Well,
0: Kaiv, I had a lot of fun talking with you about this and tracing and things because there are those times where I've had that production system where I'm just like, what's going on? Why is this happening? And there's a lot of times where I don't. It's just everything's smooth. And so it's that huge gap of time in between everything's just awesome for like months. And then it's like, oh, I need to look at something and have a little bit more insight. And that's where I think this blog post that you shared is really helpful. You know, just having the foresight to say, we're going to set up recon in our project so that it's part of our mixed dependencies. So we can have that something already deployed that we can just access when we need to. And then having gone through some of these resources just at a high level to at least know this is available. This is something you can turn to when you have that 100% 100% CPU and trying to figure out what's going on. So awesome resources. Encourage you. I'm going to check that out. Thank you for sharing the process that you went through and learning that. And I totally agree with what you said that as we teach, we learn it better. But Kai, if people want to follow you, or maybe they have some follow-up questions, or they want to get in touch with you or just see what you're doing, where should they go to do that?
3: I think you can reach me out on Twitter. I'm um active a lot in Twitter, but I'm not sure if people can really DM me. I got to check that settings. If not, you can just, you know, um, mention me and, and, and just ask, right?
0: All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you
1: for
3: listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.